Shut up and sit down. Welcome to another episode of the Super Movie Studies Podcast, a show about comic book movies approached from every angle in a community of nerds discussing how fiction relates to non-fiction. I'm your comic book culture host, Michael Mauer, joined by the Scientific Scholar, Grant Austin, and special guest, Twitter time. Twitter, please read the blue time. Oh, shoot. Sorry. <laughs> uh, SMSP is your premier movie discussion podcast. Every week we continue our journey exploring our favorite subject, superhero movies. Every fan sees the movies differently, so we gather some amateur experts to discuss certain aspects of the movie. Whether it's money, comic books, music, or science, SMSP talks about it all in this week's episode. Please, Mr. Court, just let me live. I'll do whatever you say. Don't ever come back to Gotham. <laughs> I spoke with your man, Cobblepot, before he died. Told me you say, I'm old and soft and ready to be taken out. I would never, ever say that. I am going to kill that old man with my bare hands and my teeth. I told you there's a war coming. There will be so many deaths. So many. I want to understand how Gotham works. I thought we were done talking about this. We're done talking about this when the person who actually murdered Thomas and Martha Wayne is in jail. Let it go. Or what? Am I going to be the next person taken out to the pier to get a bullet in the head? Ever since the Waynes were killed, the city has gone crazy. Crazy is bad for business. The city's sick. Sick in a way I hadn't realized. The lamb always gets into heaven. I make sure of that. Mind you even come back, huh? Gotham needs me. I'm its future. You're its future? Then Gotham is in big trouble. Yes. Yes, it is. Gotham, season one. And yes, there will be spoilers. Totally fine. First opinions. Gotham, season one. Oh, no. Grant and Grant is here. <laughs> That's a bad thing. No, never mind. Uh... <laughs> Uh, oh no, Skyler and Ben are not here. You know what that means? They're a bunch of lamos who did not prep the content. Neither of which have seen Gotham Season 1. Only these three gentlemen you are listening to right now in the troupe <laughs> have had the wonderful privilege of watching this fantastic fluff of a show. Um, I'll go ahead and start first opinions then with Gotham Season 1 being a very decent Show. I will not say it is the greatest, but it is certainly not ill-produced, um, or unwell or poorly is the word I'm looking for. It takes me three tries of really bad words before I get to the actual one that makes sense. But I really appreciate the relationship between Gordon and Bullock. I think that is just a lock in just beautiful chemistry, in my opinion. I really like Jada Pinkett Smith as Fitch, Fish Mooney just because she over-dramatizes everything to a beautiful, campy amount. Uh, even if what the writers write for her is just absolute ridiculous nonsense to get her from point A to point B. Uh, her journey in this season is weird, crazy bullshit. Um, and I could do without baby Bruce Wayne. Goodbye. Uh, David Mazuz, I'm sure you're a good enough child actor, but I don't even want to see him as much as uh, they show him in this show. I-, I will take Sassy Alfred, though. This is probably my favorite version of Alfred ever. Ever. This guy is awesome. Um, as well as they've made the penguin intimidating, which is impressive, I must say. But that's all I really have to say about season one. I've given my specifics, my antics. Um, I'm going to pass it on over to Tom. Uh, I pretty much agree with everything you said. Um, I think the show would work better if they would narrow it down to 12 episodes. If they wouldn't do the normal 24 episodes of, you know, storyline for, for network television. So they have to do a lot of filler. 
Um, I did not like Fish Mooney, but I like Jada Beacon Smith because she just did the best with what she had. And I, um, I also liked the Bullock and, um, Gordon aspect, like you said. Um, and I think that's when the show works the best is when they focus on those two guys. I don't mind Bruce Wayne, but I don't think he needs to be a main character. I think, you know, if they just had him pop in in a couple episodes, let you know he's there and he's in this world, um, it would work better. And I also didn't like the fact that, like, they forced, like, all these references down your throat. Like, we get it. The show's about the Batman universe. We get it. You don't have to hold our hands and tell us, you know. They don't have to show Harvey Dent's face half of it and shadow half of it in the light to let you know that he's going to be two-faced eventually. <laughs> and that stupid-ass Jerome guy, who you kind of thought was the Joker, but he's not. And it's just... Some of it, like some of it, made me really mad. But some, there were some episodes that were really good. Like I thought it was good when they were tying the the dude to the uh, weather balloons and dropping them. Like you, you would never picture to see that on, you know, a Batman show or whatever. <laughs> Unless um, it was from the '60s, right? Or exactly. a cop show in general, honestly. Yeah. yeah. And I think it works. I think it like as a cop drama, it's great. So yeah, that that's my thoughts on it. Um, wasn't the Jerome, like, semi-Joker character. Wasn't that season two? He's introduced in season one. Uh, he, well, he breaks out of jail in season two. They put him in jail in season one. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, I just forgot about that, because, I don't know, I, I was only able to look at a few clips in preparation for this, so the two seasons kind of jumbled together in a lot of parts. So, alright, well, but anyway, I guess it's my turn for... My opinions. Uh, I love this show. Uh, I thought it only got better as it went on. There were a lot of points that you guys made that I agree with. I think uh, Jada Pinkett Smith's character, uh, I enjoy it being there because I enjoy the drama within the mafia and people fighting for power and stuff. However, you're right. I think her writing is not the greatest. Um, I like Bruce Wayne being there. I think because it is a Batman show, it would, wouldn't do the universe justice and not have Batman there at least a little bit. I do think he's overplayed. Uh, I don't think he needs to be in it as much as possible, and I definitely don't think this early he needs to be so hung up on, you know, being Batman. Like, everybody knows he's going to be Batman eventually. We don't need to see him, like, starting this journey to being a detective and, like, getting into trouble like he can do some small things in this first season and then build up to that. But he, they just go straight into it. Like an episode after his parents are killed, he's automatically just like, all right, I'm going to investigate Wayne enterprises because fuck it. I guess I don't go to school. So yeah, I, I like the references to other characters, especially when they're more subtle. Uh, for example, using the Viper as a precursor for Venom so that way you don't have to actually introduce Bane. You can just sort of, have that concept in there uh, but otherwise I think that it's a wonderful show I think the Gordon and Bullock dynamic is fantastic and I can't wait for the, the third season to come out this fall well it's your turn go ahead comic book stuff <laughs> thanks for the lead in go ahead Michael comic book stuff not like it's obviously the most important aspect of this entire show I think science is more important. Oh. Science, science is always more important. All right, you're fired. <laughs> okay, so actually there's a little bit of uh, fun fun money facts. We don't really know the budget of the entire show, of course, but we know it's Nielsen ratings for the year because this is uh this when did the show come out? Oh my gosh, 2014, right? Yeah. That sounds yeah, about right. Yeah, 2014. Yeah. Um, well, it was ranked 68th for the year in terms of viewership with averaging about 7.56 million viewers per episode. <laughs> Which, if you think about it, it's probably a ton more popular than the CW shows, but because we run in such circles of superhero fandom watchers, more people have probably seen the CW shows that we know compared to people that we don't even know about watching Gotham. So let's get on to comic books, I guess. No commentary. Uh, <laughs> or am I still connected? All right, I'm still connected. I don't know when I lose you guys, if I'm the only one talking. 
Um, comic books. We've got a few characters that I would like to discuss in this set. Maybe not perhaps first premiered. I mean, Batman the Animated Series pretty much covers everything, as well as those original Batman movies, uh, just to supplement everything out as well. But let's talk about the truly unique characters to Gotham. Number one being Fish Mooney. Totally made up. Maybe specifically for Jada Pinkett Smith. I'm not sure. But they get to do whatever the hell they want with that character. And boy, have they taken that to heart. Sending her to a body farm for the black market. And then bringing her back to lead a weird gang of rebels. Is it ending with ripping her own eye out and stomping on it, doesn't she? Oh. Doesn't she rip her eye out? Ah, I I think I do remember that. Yeah, she does do that because she would rather have it crushed than have her eyes taken out for some rich black market person to buy them. So, yeah, it's no, she's she's really just being spiteful because it was going to happen regardless. Mm-hmm. Well, I just don't get why she was never murdered in the body farm. Okay, like they are clearly killing people, and you've got one person who has the power and like gravitas to trigger a riot, a rebellion, and you keep that person around. She has no like special skills that you need for your operation. All right. And it's not like you're paying her any extra to be a guard or anything. You've got hired muscle. Why are you keeping this chick alive? Only to have her eventually escape. That was kind of frustrating, that entire arc. Uh, but let's move on to an actual comic book character, starting with Barbara Keene, or the first Barbara Gordon. Uh, premiered in, would you believe it or not, Encyclopedia of Comic Book Heroes number 1-Batman. 1976. Was actually credited to be created by Frank Miller and David Mazzuccelli because her first actual comic book appearance is in Batman Year One, uh, which is really the only main times we see Barbara have a storyline. Right, as you know, Barbara Gordon is Jim Gordon's first wife until he has an affair with his captain, or I suppose she wouldn't be his captain yet, um, but uh, would be a one of his partners. I forget her actual rank in year one, but Sarah Essen, another woman on the police force who police force who he banks because Gordon's a player. Uh, of course, Barbara left him shortly after that, uh, taking care of James Jr., their son, while he was left to take care of Barbara Jr., their daughter. Very prideful naming of children. She didn't come back as a main character in Batman until, like, 30 years later. Because year one happened in the early 80s, and she didn't have a, like, she was mentioned a couple times, but it wasn't until um, Detective Comics in, like, the 700s in 2011, Scott Snyder is around, to do a run called Skeleton Keys, where it turns out James Jr. is a psychotic Psychopath? Or he's a sociopathic psychopath? Uh, serial killing psychopath. Uh, sadistic psychopath. That's the best phrase we're gonna go with. Um, who is out to torture his family, every member. Uh, so Barbara gets to play the victim again. Being, uh, kind of carved up in a bathtub. She survives that, but is traumatized. All that got changed in the fifth, uh, in the new 52 reboot they did in late 2011, where Barbara Keen left James Gordon with James Jr., and they did the whole James Jr. is a psychopath story again. I had no idea he was a serial killer in the comics. <laughs> um, really, he was never brought up um, until recently, and I'm surprised they aren't going to sort of bring that out in Gotham, I think. Well, maybe they will, because Barbara went through a weird phase at the end of that season. Yeah, but she's kind of normal again now, so we'll, she could literally go anywhere in season three. Mm. Oh, she, they, 
Okay. They did like she went into a coma and then had like psychotherapy and now she's supposed to be like normal. So we'll see whether she regresses to being crazy again or if she stays normal. So they could do whatever the fuck they want, really. <laughs> well, Barbara is kind of a blank slate because she's only been involved in like two, maybe three big Batman stories. And each time she's never really had a defining moment. She's just been a victim of James Gordon's life. So let's move on to the next character. Dr. Leslie Tompkins uh, premiered in Detective Comics number 457, 1976, Denny O'Neill and Dick Giordano. Dr. Tompkins is introduced as caring for Bruce on the night of his, uh, the night of his parents' murder. So she was kind of retconned into his origin. This inspired her, this moment where she saw a little boy who had been traumatized by his parents being murdered in front of him. It inspired her into helping slum kids stay away from a life of crime. She was already a family friend of Thomas Wayne and is sort of becomes the Wayne house call doctor when Bruce becomes orphaned. As Bruce becomes Batman... Uh, he enlists her medical exper- expertise more than once, and she comes to know Batman's true identity brought into the Bat family fold. While helping Bruce, she strongly disapproves of his taking in wards and sidekicks to fight off crime with him. So much so that a controversial story involved her refusing medical treatment for a dying Stephanie Brown, the fourth Batgirl, because there are four Batgirls. And that led to her death because she didn't save her and she could have. And Leslie did all of this in hopes to prove, finally to Bruce, that life of vigilantism is too dangerous for teenagers. This story was retconned away because holy character suicide, Batman. (laughs) A doctor refusing a character medical treatment? In order to prove a point? That's one way to get your point across. Jeez. Uh, They changed it to where she actually helped Stephanie Brown fake her death in order to get her out of the crime-fighting biz. All right, it makes a bit more sense that way. Uh, There's no romantic relationship with her and James Gordon, um, but it is implied that there is one between her and Alfred Pennyworth. Which they kind of hinted that in the second season they have Alfred hit on her. Oh. Which is really awkward because she's dating Jim. And Jim and uh, Bruce get a good laugh out of uh, Alfred's humiliation. Oh, poor, poor, my favorite Alfred. Uh, also, I can't tell if, like, Alfred is the same age as Jim or if, like, he's supposed to be 10 years older, 20 years older. What would you say how old Alfred is and how old Jim Gordon is? Like, what's the age difference there? I don't know. I think Alfred looks definitely older, but they leave his age really ambiguous in this show. So mm-hmm. he could he could literally just look old, um, which I can imagine would be a result of all the stress he's had in his life. But he could just as very well be old, too. So I don't I'm I'm thinking he's like 35 Jim Gordon and Alfred's 45. They could still beat Jim Gordon up. I guess that's all that matters. Oh, true. <laughs> Doesn't matter how old he is, he still kick Gordon's ass. I was gonna say I wasn't Alfred. Alfred was in a war by now. <laughs> he was he was already drafted in the British military and done. <laughs> So finally, move to our last character, which is Harvey Bullock. This is Harvey Bullock's first live-action interpretation, which is really kind of stunning to believe because he's been involved in more than 700 Batman comics, been around since uh, the 1970s, and like every other member of the Batman cast, uh, with the exception of Dr. Leslie Tompkins, has been has had like a live-action interpretation, but not Harvey. Um, he premiered in Detective Comics number 441, 1974, Archie Goodwin and Howard Chaikin. So his first origin, because, oh, if it's before 1985, every character's got two origins, maybe three. 
for the DC side. Simply because of DC Crisis on Infinite Earths, which changed everyone origin stories, and the New 52, which again changed everyone origin stories. And maybe some origin stories got changed in Infinite Crisis. And even a couple in Final Crisis. So, gosh, there's so many crises. And Rebirth, right? And announced Rebirth. (laughs) Yes, Rebirth is out right now. Which is further, but Rebirth is trying to reconnect everything before New 52. It's just sort of trying to take New 52 and push it off to the side. And just say, none of that really happened. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of diehards didn't like the New 52. Um, so, his first origin involves him being placed as Jim Gordon's new partner with orders from the frickin' mayor to sabotage that man's career, being that he is the only just cop in Gotham and he is aiming to bring everyone down. So Harvey plays the role of buffoon and quote-unquote accidentally botches up any investigation that they're on until one mistake literally gives Gordon a heart attack. This causes Harvey to change his ways and reform because he almost killed a guy by being a corrupt cop. Fast forward to his new origin after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Harvey is still a corrupt cop as ever, taking bribes, having too close a relationship with organized crime and police brutality. Uh, But he's somewhat inspired by his new partner's crusade on crime. And while he doesn't change who he is at all that much, uh, he is always loyal to Gordon and puts on his best behavior when he can afford it. Which I think we see almost to a T in this television show. It's just like, Harvey does some shady stuff every once in a while, but when it comes down to standing next to Gordon, he's right there. Also, he has a reputation for eating a lot of donuts, but that just might be a police thing. Is Harvey the one that told Gordon to shoot Penguin? Or no? No, yeah, Fish Mooney ordered Jim Gordon to kill Penguin in order to prove that she could control this cop. All right, and if she couldn't control this cop, she was just going to kill him. Because Jim Gordon had no power at that point. He had no sway. It was just like, if I can't get this cop early, I'm not going to let him like garner a force. I'm just going to kill him. So either he's in the fold or he's out. You said that this was Harvey's like first live-action uh, appearance. Mm-hmm. But I guess, couldn't you argue that the, the cop in um, Batman Begins is pretty much based off Harvey. He's actually uh, uh, Arnold Flass. That's a character from Batman Year One. And he's got the look of Harvey, and he's got a few of the attitudes, but most of those attitudes are just corrupt copness. And both Arnold Flass and Harvey are corrupt cops, but Harvey reforms is the thing. And Arnold never really does. He continues to be a jerk. And I don't think Arnold ever really reformed in Batman Begins. And Har- and Harvey has reputation for donuts and Flash likes falafel. Yes! <laughs> that is 100% correct. <laughs> Big difference there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course, how could I have been so blind to have not seen that when I was watching the movie? <laughs> I've got kids to feed. What, you kids don't like falafel? <laughs> wow, that that actually solved, solved my problems. I can't believe I didn't think of that before. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, I'm done with comic books. So typically we would have music. But Skyward's not here. Nobody else really wanted to pick up the slack. But, oh, wait, Tom, you've got some information for us. I see on the... the, the yeah, sp- I, well, I know you asked earlier who did the score, so I just pulled that real quick. It was just by da- uh, Graham Ravel and David E. Russo. Um, I've heard of Graham Ravel before, but I've never heard of David E. Russo. And Sounds like a Russo brother. If Graham Ravel did any um, comic book movies before or not. Graham Ravel did the score to Sin City? Uh, I think. Give me a second. Let me, uh, let's just take a quick pause. He did the, oh. uh, the Ben Affleck Daredevil as well. Uh, there it is. Look at all this. Look at all this nerd cred. He's got Daredevil under his belt. He's got Sin City. He's got Pitch Black. Ooh. Pineapple Express, of course, is the greatest comic book movie of all time. 
Ooh, Aeon Flux as well. And the Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl 3D. This man's a pro. Truly, uh, yeah. some, nothing to be trifled with. A lock solid music category. Uh, t- tweet us your favorite track, I guess, by Graham Ravel. <laughs> and it better be from the Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl 3D. Okay, so let's move on. Just to skip right on through to science. All right, let's just get straight to the best part of the show. It, um, it is the best part of the show. Thanks for acknowledging that, Michael. Oh, you're welcome, bitch. All right. All right. Let's talk some science. Got three this, topics. I do have three topics. I could have had a lot more because there's a lot of pseudoscience in these superhero TV shows. It's fun to talk about, especially Flash and Arrow. Oh, my God. Holy uh, crap. <laughs> but anyway, uh, three that I wanted to talk about were the balloon killer because that was a favorite amongst all of us, I think. Um the electroshock mind mind control in quotation marks by uh from the electrocutioner, which is the cheesiest name of all time. <laughs> and then the venom precursor, the uh viper drug that they had. So Wait, you think electrocutioner is more cheesy than Animal Vegetable Mineral Man? Animal Vegetable Mineral Man isn't in the show, so doesn't really count in this argument. All right, all right. Um, all right, so let's talk about the balloon killer. Um, this is totally possible. You could definitely do this if you wanted to be a very sadistic serial killer. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. You fill a balloon with helium that would have enough uh, buoyancy to carry a human up through the atmosphere. And then once it gets high enough, it explodes and the person falls and dies. The It explodes because of Boyle's Law, which says that pressure and volume are inversely proportional. So as uh, one goes up, the other has to go down. And when you have a balloon going up through the atmosphere, it is experiencing lower and lower pressure on the outside of the balloon because the atmosphere thins. And as a result... The balloon expands and expands and expands to equalize that pressure on the inside so that the inside pressure is equal to the outside pressure. And eventually, the structural integrity of the balloon just can't take it anymore, and it explodes. person falls and dies. So, yeah, that one is totally possible. And kind of surprised it's never actually been thrown into any sort of comic book, TV show, or anything like that before, because it's pretty... Clever, actually. You just have to be able to get your hands on some weather balloons, which I can't imagine would be that difficult. Mm. All right. How much helium do you really need to lift a human body with not enough time for them to grab onto something or, you know, wrench free? Because, like, it would take a lot of helium to lift a human body, doesn't it? I mean, uh, look at all the balloons uh, the lawn chair man had. Uh, not necessarily. It kind of depends on the size of the balloon. Um, if you had a, a smaller balloon, you'd want more helium because then it would uh, cause a greater buoyant force. But if you have a really large volume balloon, then you're going to have an increased buoyant force, which is opposing gravity. So you could uh, get it to go up faster. So that's what they would do with a weather balloon, which are pretty big anyway. Because they, the weather balloons have to be able to carry equipment into the atmosphere to be able to detect weather patterns and stuff. So I have two questions for you, Grant. One, would you, if I was tied to that balloon, would I run out of oxygen before it pops? Like, would running out of oxygen kill me, or would the impact kill me? Two, if I got that high up, would I, like, because they fall back down in Gotham, don't they? Like, they land somewhere in Gotham? Yes. They wouldn't go that straight up where they would land back in Gotham, would they? Would they actually float off and land, like, miles down the road or no? Okay, so those are good questions. First one, uh, I guess to answer both of them, really, it depends on the height that they go, which just depends on the balloon. But if the balloon was going high enough, I don't think any weather balloons go high enough where you would go so high that the oxygen deprivation would kill you. Probably just high enough to knock you out. In which case, when you fell back to Earth, if you didn't wake up, you would at least be unconscious when you hit the ground and died. But either way, the impact would be what would kill you 
you would have to go really high to be so oxygen deprived that you died. So I don't think any normally available weather balloon could do that. And then for your second question, I guess it depends on both how high you go in the weather. Probably not, though. You would definitely get moved somewhat in some direction. But Gotham's a huge city, so I can imagine that if you were released somewhere in Gotham, you'd have a pretty good chance of falling back down somewhere else in Gotham. You just probably wouldn't be in the same spot. Falling back into the same spot would be pretty astronomically small chances of happening. But uh, depending on the weather, you probably wouldn't move that far in either direction, enough to be, like, blown out of the city at all. You failed this city. Here's a balloon. (laughs) Moving on. The electroshock mind control. This is kind of a appeared in two episodes with the electrocutioner guy. Um, And basically, he just did a really sketchy, not very regulated version of electroshock therapy, which is something that doctors actually use, normally just as a last resort, though. And it's much more controlled and much less intense. So the way he did it, he pretty much had no control and was just like throwing some absurd amount of electricity into people's brains and hoping for the best. But because everybody's brains are very different and we have such a low knowledge of it that him doing that over and over again would get different results for pretty much everybody. And we saw that in the show. Pretty much everybody he did it to had different results. Um, It looked from the where he was placing the electrodes on their heads that it was mostly... uh, affecting their frontal lobe, which would make sense based off the symptoms because the frontal lobe controls your higher executive thinking, um, all of your decision-making, a lot of your memories are stored there. So uh, as far as like wanting to be able to control somebody, frying their part of their brain that allows them to critically think would be good, as well as frying the part of their brain that allows them to disobey, which are both kind of in that area. But the problem is, is like I said, everybody's brain is wired differently, so that's why it only worked two out of the how many times he did it. And the one, the last time he did it with the the huge guy, all it did was make him a like a machine. It, he had no thoughts anymore. All he did was follow orders and punch things. So uh, really, it's not a very effective way to mind control someone because even if you did it under the controlled situations that like actual neurosurgeons might use or psychiatrists, uh, they it only works about 50% of the time, and they only use it to control uh, depressive disorders and manic disorders. And like 50% success rate is not good. That's why they only use it uh, half as a last resort when they have to. All right, let's get to the last topic you've got. Um, another thing that confused me, because I don't remember Viper either. <laughs> Okay, so this was a really early episode. It was like two episodes after uh, the Balloon Man uh, killer. Mm-hmm. And this guy who used to work for Wayne Enterprises is just handing out this prequel to Venom mm-hmm. because he's a biochemist and was able to make it. And he's trying to prove a point that Wayne Enterprises is evil and disagrees with the production of super soldiers via Venom. So he's handing out Viper but Viper had a problem with it. That's why they don't use it. And that's why they move on to Venom and that it causes death. So (laughs) pretty serious problem, but he starts giving it out to just random people on the street. They get super strong for a little bit with a huge sense of, with a very euphoric high, they go think they're indestructible and like rob banks or do whatever. And then their uh, bones kind of disintegrate and they die. Oh, that's Uh, right. Their bones pretty much melt. Yeah, so all well and good, a super steroid and all, I can I can get behind that. But their explanation for it is just total, total bullshit. Okay. It's, just, it's so bad that it made me kind of mad about it. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, that's not even good pseudoscience. <laughs> like in The Flash, when they try and talk about other dimensions, it's like, well, nobody really knows anything about that. So you throwing in this nonsense about other dimensions is fine. But... Nigma tries to explain it by saying the drug causes a hypermetabolism of the calcium in your bones, which then leads to obviously your bones getting really weak. 
But during the time when it's actually metabolizing your bones, you get a ton of extra energy, and that contributes to the super strength. There are so many problems with this. <laughs> all right, Should, give me at least two. Uh, well, there will be more than two. First of all, just because you have an extreme amount of energy it does not equate to super strength. That's a load of bullshit. Uh, just because you have the energy to lift something twice your body weight doesn't mean you have the muscle tone and the muscle units. I can't remember what they're called, but you don't have enough of them built up in your muscles to be able to do that. So just because you have the energy to do it doesn't mean that it will actually happen. At best, all of these people are going to become marathon runners and have huge amounts of endurance because they have all this extra energy. But it won't actually increase their strength. So these people could easily, like, kill someone and then run 50 miles away. So that they <laughs> Bigger problem, though, is you can't metabolize calcium. Oh. And you, you kind of recycle calcium, and it goes into your bones as hydroxyapatite, and then it gets pulled out again. and that constant turnover makes your bones stronger. So you have some hormones that some hormones and some cells cause your bones to resorb, which is basically dissolve and then some build it back up. And that's happening all the time. But like the actual element calcium, you, you can't metabolize that. So metabolism is like breaking of chemical bonds and that breaking of those bonds gives you energy. Uh, but if calcium is just an element, it has no bonds. So you can't, Oh, bonds. it has no bonds because it's a singular element, right? Yeah, plus calcium is a, as part of the periodic table, where even if it was found in an ionic compound, there's no real bond there because ionic bonds aren't actually bonds. It's just two atoms of different charges being close together because of electrostatic interactions. So pulling them apart doesn't release a huge amount of energy. Um, so hold on, let me let me let me let me bring this down. So like H two O, water is H two O. We know that, right? That is a yeah. bond. Yeah, there is two hydrogen oxygen bonds. Yes, there is energy released when you separate those two elements. Not a lot of it, but yes, there's yes. Um, better example would be glucose, which is what we use for energy. We yeah. break glucose down into carbon dioxide, and that produces a lot of energy. But like that, the separation creates energy, all right, and that's what you metabolize and use. Um, water doesn't have a lot, sure. But yeah. when you metabolize calcium, if you look at a periodic table, you know that calcium is the letter C. And C A. Carbon is C. Oh, thank you, thank you. Ooh. You know that C A. It's one element. Yep. That's it. And. Because of its characteristics as an alkaline earth metal, it doesn't make bonds. It forms ionic compounds at best, mm -hmm. and ionic compounds don't break apart into a lot of energy. So you can't you break down calcium because it is by itself. It is already at its barest form. So yes. metabolizing so, that is impossible. Yes, you could split it up, split the atom in half, which is nuclear fission, but that's what atomic bombs do. <laughs> so, yeah, if you broke down the calcium in your bones, which is a horrible source to do nuclear fission with anyway, because it's uh, not a super heavy element. So when you do fission, you want something that's fairly unstable, so you use something super heavy like uranium or plutonium because they're huge and they break apart much easier. Calcium is on the stable half of the periodic table because it's a lightweight element, so it's very unlikely to break apart. And even if it did, that amount of energy would just destroy your cell. It would just blow up. So, well, that's kind of what happens. So I, I got the second half, right? Yeah, the, the only thing in that that makes sense is that, yes, if you took all the calcium out of your bones, they'd be very brittle and they would break really easily. And <laughs> with, with no bones, your muscles couldn't work. And with no muscles, you would die of respiratory arrest, which is what Nigma says happens. They die because they can't breathe because their muscles have nothing to move on because the bones are gone. No viper. All right. We wrapping up science then? Uh, yeah, those were the three big ones I wanted to talk about. Boom, chakalaka. Twitter time, your time to shine. Some fun facts. Boom, chaka. Um, I have a fun fact. Going back to bonds, you could use bonds to save the world from nuclear fission because Pierce Brosnan did it and Daniel Craig saved the world from atomic bombs. And they were bombs. <sighs> that was that was horrible. Just 
Not only that, everyone <laughs> saw that coming a mile away. <laughs> Do you guys get it? Because they played James Bond yes, in we, the 007 movies? We got it. It was just oh, really, okay. really bad. I choose not to get it. Hey, when you edit this, will you put crickets chirping after that joke? No, you don't deserve it. <laughs> Even the crickets thought it was bad. Because <laughs> you were like, silence. <laughs> I should have hopped off the call after that. Just said that and then just jumped. Just My crap. Yep, yeah, boom. Um, Alright, for uh, Gotham, fun fact. Uh, ben McKenzie, who plays Gordon, and Marina Baccarin, Baccarin, they uh, are dating on that show, and they are actually dating in real life and have a child together. Whoa, Which, are they married with a child? I, no wedlock marriage? I, I assume it was in wedlock. Oh, damn. But those crazy kids. <laughs> Who knows what they're doing these days? Um, Jada Pinkett Smith brought a man on a leash to our audition as Fish Mooney and had liar written on lipstick on his forehead. So I guess she really, really wanted the part. Wow. I thought they pretty much made that for her. Because she was like the big star of the show. Is Yeah, I mean, all the money went to her, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Ben McKenzie isn't that big of a name. Donald Luge is like the Logue, Donald Logue. This is like a TV star-ish. He's been on a few times. I mean, Ben McKenzie's a big enough name if you watch a lot of like animated Batman stuff. Yeah, but that's not not network TV. That is not network TV standards. If they um, would have got him ten years ago when the OC was popular, they, he would have been. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um. Yeah. So she really wanted that part, I guess. Oh, and going back on Gordon and Alfred's age, uh, Gordon is 37, and Alfred is 52 in real oh. life, the actors who play him. Oh, really? Yeah, so 15-year difference there. Okay. That was decently close, Mallory. You almost got Gordon's age right on. Mm-hmm. You need to buy a lottery ticket after this. Boom. I'll get um, five numbers. <laughs> your numbers will all be one number off. You'll be like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Robin Lord Taylor, the guy who plays Penguin, to keep the uh, Penguin's limp on point, he placed a bottle cap in his right shoe. That brings him enough pain just to make him walk uneasy. Oh, you know what? That's not Billy Bob Thornton level of uneasy walk, though. Because in Sling Blade, in Sling Blade, uh, mm-hmm. that dude put broken glass in his shoes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some people call it a Kaiser blade. I call it a sling blade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben McKenzie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> his uh, inspiration for his character was he just basically became uh, the younger version of Gary Oldman's uh, portrayal of Jim Gordon in the Dark Knight trilogy. So he based it off or uh, Gary Oldman, who played Jim Gordon. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In an interview, Ben McKenzie said the only time Batman will appear on the show is the very last frame of the very last episode of the very last season, whenever that turns out to be. He's like, that's when we'll see Bruce Wayne put on the cape and cowl, which is kind of disappointing. No, that's how I want it. That's why I don't even want Bruce Wayne on the show. I, I agree. I like that the show is the same universe, but it's a different take on it, and it's not Batman. If I wanted a Batman TV show, I would go watch the 66 Batman yeah, TV show. Yeah, I know, show. but you would call it Batman, all right? If they if they showed Batman, I don't want it just the very last thing. I either want him in it for a few episodes as Batman or just not at all. Don't I'm, even... I do think they have hopes to like play it until David Mazou's... Uh, ages up enough to have like a teen Batman show <laughs> on Gotham season fifteen. We- <laughs> <laughs> they only need to go like a few more seasons. I think he's like seventeen or sixteen now. So by the time he's in his early twenties, he would certainly look old enough to be Batman. Hopefully, that would be interesting if they have that far of hopes. I mean, Batman never really loses popularity. Uh, unless the like the the business of superheroes loses popularity. Um. Yeah, I think that was the last one I had of fun facts for season one. You don't. Well, I mean, we know that Ben McKenzie uh voiced Batman 
in multiple animated Batman movies. I know he did the voice in Batman Year One. Um, did he do Gotham Knight? I know Marina Bakarin did Talia and uh, Son of Batman. Talia. Ta-da! Wow, I didn't know that. That's awesome. I thought the only other comic book thing she was in was Deadpool. You know what's weird, though, is uh, does Willa Holland from Arrow, who plays Thea, look like the exact same as, as like, a little sister to Marina Bakarin? No, because Marina Bakarin is Brazilian and Willa Holland isn't. I don't, I, I think they just look really similar. I see now. a resemblance in there. If they told me they were related, I would believe it. If you look past the skin color. Okay. What the heck? Oh, no, he's just done Batman Year One. That's it. Oh, well. Uh, we have a couple drinking game rules, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, my favorite is whenever Alfred does something sassy. That's my favorite time to drink something, um, uh, some sort of sassy frou-frou fruit drink. Just be like, ooh, sour. I'll drink a whiskey sour every time. Just, ooh. Or drink something <laughs> British. Sassy. <laughs> sassy. This, is, this is truly the sassy Alfred that we've been waiting for. I don't know. Batman v Superman Alfred was pretty sassy a lot of the time. I think you just don't see enough of him to have mm -hmm. it as a, a good comparison. Makes sense. Um, the one I got said, drink uh, every time Aroni reminds you of Elmer Fudd because he can't pronounce his R's. <laughs> goes, I'm, I'm Sabatol Maloney. I'm going to find Bruce Wayne. I'm going to dead. You are finery, pretty girl, my wee. If you don't do what I tell you, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to saw off your head. <laughs> okay. Uh, every time you find yourself rolling your eyes, take a drink. Whether it be for cheesy dialogue or the obvious placement of a future villain. Uh, cameo, any of those. Anytime you roll your eyes, just be like, oh, fuck. Just... Every time the Riddler says something? Uh, every time they force a reference to the comics, so blatant where you just want to slam your head against the wall. You have to take uh, a shot out of a comic book shot glass. Don't kill yourself. Drink responsibly. Feel free to replace anything alcoholic with grape juice. Or O'Doyle rules. That too. Instead of taking a shot, just say all O'Doyle rules. And then drink O'Doyle. <laughs> oh, these are our best drinking game rules yet. I mean, there isn't a... Um, um, I mean, you can drink for the simplest stuff, I'm sure. Every time you flip to Bruce Wayne when you don't want to flip Bruce Wayne. Uh, just... I was actually just about to say that one. <laughs> Every time it shows Bruce Wayne, you're just like, God damn it, I just want more of Gordon and Bullock. Yeah, I just want... More of Gordon and Bullock. Um, and just, I don't know, just like mix a bunch of crap together whenever Fish Mooney is talking, because that's what her script feels like. <laughs> that's all I got. Anyone have anything else they want to say? No? All right. Okay. All right. That sounds like it's going to wrap it up today. Super fans, Super Movie Studies is recorded and produced by Triop Cop Productions. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes, rate, and uh, subscribe to us. Re give us a review. We like to see those reviews. Uh, if you want to get on the show, reach out to us. Um, but subscribe to us on iTunes, and you'll find new episodes every Monday. All right. We're uh, also on Twitter. Tom's always there for superhero conversations, so hit up Twitter Tom at Super, the letter M studies. That's at Super M studies to hit up Twitter Tom. And don't forget to. Uh, I'm getting my ICQ name on there too. So you guys can hit me up on ICQ. What's ICQ? You don't remember ICQ? I don't know what ICQ like is. MSN Messenger. It's an oh. old, like, MSN Messenger. Way to just, oh my like, gosh. super date yourself there. Tom, do you realize you're, like, ten years older than us? Yeah. Yeah. Older than you. <laughs> I'm sorry, we didn't, I mean, I mean, I was, like, six when AOL came out. Yeah, it really is. Definitely not something I, I did after school, was AOL message people. It's wow. a little bit before my time. 
I'll just hang up my rotary phone. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta go find some friends through your Rolodex. Oh my God. Let me whip out my little black book. <laughs> I got you in here. <laughs> yeah, let me. Oh my God. It's gonna be a lonely night. I'm gonna have to go find the Playboy I stored. Silence. Too far. Too far. Too far. Fuck you. All right. <laughs> it was uh, funny, and then you said that, and then we're like, mm, no. oh, it's uncomfortable no. to talk about porn, even though it's fucking everywhere. No, if you would have said it like two jokes sooner. Oh, fine. oh, I got you. My timing was off. Yeah, timing was bad. Timing oh. is everything. All right, all right, all right. I'm not getting paid to do this. I don't got to give a shit. Uh, finally, triopcop.com. T-R-I-O-P-C-O-P.com. This will be the first episode that will go on triopcop.com first. All right? The iTunes people are not getting this. If you go to the website, you get this episode first. Uh, you can also find the schedule for our future episodes in case you want to get learned up and uh, help join in on the conversation. Every week, uh, show notes will go up, I promise. Drinking Game Rules will always be there, as well as you can email us, supermoviestudies at triopcop.com. Uh, you email us, you want to get on the show. You wanna, you have a fun idea for a topic, alright? You, you really wanna talk about perhaps the music of Gotham, since we totally sidelined that, and you're like, I really have some things to say. You wanna spend a 10 minutes talking about that? Fine. You wanna give us some sort of existential conversation about violence and Batman v Superman? I know that's been posed as an idea before. We can certainly do that. You just gotta be like, I wanna do this, let's schedule a time, and boom, we'll be right there with you. Or if you just want to be on a regular episode, that too. But that's all I got for you today. So remember, I'm your host, Michael Mauer. Twitter time. And Grant Austin. And we all, you all have a super week. Have a very good week. <laughs> have a super week. You can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time Sooner or later gotta cut you down Sooner or later gotta cut you down Go tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight rider Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Well, my goodness gracious, let me tell you the news My head's been wet with the midnight dew I've been down on bended knee Talking to the man from Galilee He spoke to me with a voice so sweet I thought I heard the shuffle of angels sweet He called my name and my heart stood still When he said, John, go do my will Go tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight rider Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Tell him that God's gonna cut him down